Would you turn in the scriptures please this morning to two openings. We're going to 2 Peter the 3rd chapter and 2 Timothy the 2nd chapter. 2 Peter 3, 2 Timothy 2. In uh, 2 Peter the 3rd chapter and verse 9. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. It says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but he's long suffering to usward. Aren't you thankful for that? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Said out loud, he's not willing that any should perish. Now, do you believe this is true? This is true. Then how many is it God's will for them to perish? Not a one. Are people perishing? Yes, they are. In more than one way. Is any of them that are perishing, is any of them, that's God's will? No. There are a lot of things happening in the world. There are a lot of things happening in people's lives that is not the will of God. Not his plan. Not his will, but it's happening because men, women have a free will and a free choice and can choose to ignore him, choose to rebel against him and any number of things. But no matter why people are perishing, how they got there, it is never God's will. Believe it or not. Said out loud, it's not his will. That any, that any should perish. Should perish. Now notice what the next phrase says. But, so these are joined. But that all should come to repentance. Repentance. Many have uh, not seen repentance in as positive a light as they should. When people hear repent, a lot of times they think, hmm, okay, do we have to talk about that? (laughs) Or maybe it's necessary, but let's go to another subject quick as we can. Repentance is one of the greatest things God ever gave us. It's actually a gift. I said it's a gift. Repentance is a gift from God. And it is the alternative to perishing. We began last week a series I'm calling The Way Out. The Way Out. And that's what we're talking about. What is the way out? Repentance is the way out. Repentance is the way out when you can't see any way out. When you've been in bondage for years or decades and you don't see how. When everything looks like it's destroyed The only thing that remains in front of you is devastation and judgment and desolation. There's a way out. I said there's a way out. It's called repentance. How many think a way out is a good thing? It's a very good thing. He's not willing that any should perish. Well, What are they going to do instead of perishing? What are they going to do to keep from perishing? But that all. Should come to repentance. Look with me in Timothy now please. Second Timothy the second chapter. Second Timothy 2 and 24. It says the servant of the Lord. Must not strive. But be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach. Patient. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. The Lord said something to me, spoke to my heart a number of years ago concerning strife. Did you notice in James that he says where where envying and strife is, there's every evil work. Did you notice that? The Lord brought my attention to that and helped me to see that strife is the manifest presence of the devil. 
is the devil's presence manifested. Well, peace is God's presence manifested. Isn't it? So many times when people say, boy, I sense the presence of the Lord. What did they sense, among other things? Peace. A lot of times when you sense his presence real strong, you just want to go, whoa, slide down in your chair. Whoa, glory to God. Is peace a big part of that? It is. Peace and joy is the manifest presence of the Lord, of God, of the Holy Spirit. Strife is the opposite of that. Strife is the manifest presence of the devil. Make up your mind. You're not going to be embroiled, involved in strife. Not at your house. Not on the workplace. Come on, are you listening, saints? You're just not going to. You're not going to participate. Because to do so is to yield to the enemy so that he's able to manifest his presence. How many think the devil's presence ought not be manifested in your house or your car or your work cubicle or wherever you work or operate? Certainly ought not be manifested in church offices or in the church or anywhere on the grounds. Somebody say zero strife. No strife. No strife. Now, you'll have to make a decision about this because you'll be tempted. And, and when people are getting upset and arguing and fussing, you, you, you can be drawn into it. But you've got to make up your mind, I'm not going to participate Amen. in the devil manifesting his presence here. Yeah. I'm not going to be a part of that. Amen. The man of God must not strive, he said. And verse uh, 25, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves... If God peradventure will give them repentance. See I told you repentance is a gift. Isn't it? That God would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. What's the result of that verse 26? That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Is there a way out? What's the way out? Repentance which is a gift. From God, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. The NIV says it like this that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, that they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We don't have to be trapped. In doing things that are wrong. We don't have to be trapped in bondages. In habits. Whatever it is that's. You know. Keeping us under and defeated. You can be free. You can come out. And what's the way out? Come on help me out. The way out. Repentance. Which is a gift. A gift. He was praying. And telling them how to pray. And you can pray this for your family and your friends. You got somebody that just keeps on going the wrong way and and keeps on being embroiled in stuff that they shouldn't be. You can pray this for them. You can say, Lord, I'm asking you to grant them repentance. That they may acknowledge the truth. What will the truth do for you? It'll make you free. Now, part of the truth that they need to acknowledge is that they're doing something wrong. And if you won't acknowledge that, you're going to stay bound because you've chosen to believe a lie that it's okay and that you're all right when you know you're not. And if you choose to believe that instead of acknowledging the truth, you can't get free. I said you can't get free. If you refuse to repent, you'll stay in bondage. You'll stay in captivity. Let me give you the definitions for the word uh, repent and repentance. There are four main words in the New Testament that I'm aware of that are translated repent or repentance. One of them means to care afterwards, which includes the idea of regret. Actually, the New Testament in Corinthians talks about godly sorrow. 
doesn't it? In connection with repentance. Another word means to think differently or afterwards to reconsider. Another one means compunction, which includes the idea of what we're talking about, feeling uh, regret about it. Another one means to transform. It's from the root word, we get our word metamorphosis from. If you look at them all together, to me, the thing that helps me understand repentance probably the most is just this one word, change. Change. And some have said, well, repent just means to change your mind. It means more than that. It does mean that, but it means a lot more than that. And I believe primarily it means change of heart. Change of heart. And if you really have a change of heart, there will be a change of mind and the way you talk and what you do. Come on, are you listening? The Bible talks about fruits, meat for repentance, which means works, uh, things that you're doing that show that you've repented. Go with me to Jude, the book of Jude. Just one chapter. Jude, and we'll begin reading in the first verse. What does repentance mean? Change. It means to change. Let's read then for a few verses. He said, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Don't you like that? He's talking about, we talking about that earlier, aren't we? God will preserve you how? Spirit soul and body he's faithful he'll do it verse 2 mercy to you and peace and love be multiplied keep going beloved when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints how many know that the message of the gospel the message of salvation has not changed since it was given to us in the very beginning. Right? And he's saying here, Jude's saying, the Spirit of God through him is saying, I need to write you and exhort you that you need to contend for and fight for and hold on to the original message. We don't get updates to the Word of God. If anybody ever says, well, here's version (laughs) 1.1, version 2.0, don't you accept it? Because God uh, didn't miss things on the first time around. Hmm? Mm -mm. He got it right to begin with. So it doesn't need to be updated and changed. And he said, you need to contend for this, verse 4. And he tells why. Because there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the ink was still wet on Paul's writings about grace and redemption, and already people were twisting it. And distorting it. And he was saying to them. I'm writing to you. Because you need to contend. For the message of salvation. And don't be misled by this. Let me read you some other translations of this. The the New Living Translation says. That some ungodly people. Have wormed their way into your churches. Saying that God's marvelous grace. Allows us to live immoral lives. The King James said what? Lasciviousness. You know some of these words. We don't use so much anymore. When's the last time you used the word lasciviousness. In a sentence. (laughs) Or licentiousness. Which means a similar thing. Well I looked it up. So we'd be clear. Lasciviousness. Basically means lack of restraint. Lack of restraint. Which another way of saying it. We'd probably say today. Letting yourself go. 
Letting yourself go doing things that you ought not be doing. And this was the distortion that people were doing with the message of grace. They're saying grace means you don't need to control yourself. It doesn't matter. The easy to read says it like this. They've used the grace of our Lord in the wrong way. To do sinful things. Today's English version says. These persons distort the message about the grace of God. In order to excuse their immoral ways. Using grace as an excuse. For doing something you ought not be doing. Not doing something you should be doing. The message of grace was being distorted. Wasn't it? Should we be watchful about that today? The Weiss translation says, Divinely loved ones, when giving every diligence to be writing to you concerning the salvation possessed and coming by all of us, I had constraint laid upon me to write to you, beseeching you to contend with intensity and determination for the faith once for all entrusted into the safekeeping of the saints. How many want the original version? (laughs) Right? Of the gospel message. I don't want any altered, modernly adjusted versions. Do you? Well, let's just pray and release our faith on it right now. Say it out loud. Father God, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds. Help us to see the one and only original message of grace, of truth, the gospel, unaltered, unchanged by any confusion or deception that followed later. Hallelujah. You believe you received that in Jesus' name? Then anything we need to see differently, the Lord will show us. He said the faith once for all entrusted into the safekeeping of the saints. And he's saying we should guard this and contend for this because it doesn't get any more important. This is what we're saved by. Right? And we're not going to let anybody change this for us. For certain men entered surreptitiously who were of old predicted with reference to this judgment, men destitute of reverential awe towards God. Now, this is how you can tell people that are off to some degree or another. Lack of respect for the things of God. They speak about them too loosely, irreverently. A person who speaks irreverently about the Lord, about the Word, about these things, you know something's not right there. Because the more you know him, the more impressed with how great he is you are. And to take it too loosely and too casually just means you don't know him very well. Because in his presence, in his presence, everybody wants to fall down and say, holy, holy, holy. Because he is. But he said, these people, they're destitute of reverential awe towards God. And they are perverting the grace of our God into moral anarchy and lack of self-restraint. The ultimate end of it is to deny the only absolute master. Even our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't start off there though. It starts just with the perversion of the message of grace. Turning the message of grace into moral anarchy and lack of self-restraint. Let me read to you what anarchy means in case you weren't clear on it. (laughs) Anarchy means absence of or denial of any authority or established order. We're not under any rules. We're not under anybody telling us what to do. We're under grace. 
Is that true or not? Yes. <laughs> Let's read it again. Was there a perversion and distortion of the message of grace here? Yes. Did Paul deal with it? Yes. He did. In Romans, let me see if I can find it for you. Yeah, Romans 3.8, just put it up on the uh, screen for us. You, don't have to, you stay here with us in Jude. Romans 3.8, not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. He said, there are people who are saying, I teach this. <laughs> and I don't. And their judgment is deserved. Hmm? Did Paul have issues with people taking what he taught about grace? And twisting it. And distorting it. They did. And they're saying, well, you know, we're going to do some bad stuff, but the ultimate result is that God's grace will be shown more. So it's no big deal. And so the, uh, the conclusion is a lack of restraint. Moral anarchy. Let me go over this again. What's anarchy? It's the absence of or denial of any authority or established order. And of course that appeals to rebellious flesh. Doesn't it? To say, hey, don't try to put me under any bondage. Which basically means I don't have to do anything that anybody says ever because I'm under grace. <laughs> what is that? That's a perversion of the message of grace. That's a distortion because there are other verses in the Bible that tell you to submit to authority. That tell you to keep your own body under. Tell you not to yield to sin. I mean, how many know there's other verses in the Bible? Beware of taking a truth and trying to make it the only truth. The word of God must be rightly Divided. How do you rightly divide a verse or truth with other verses on other subjects? And they all have to agree. Can you say amen? amen. We want the truth. We want what's right. What will the truth do for you? It'll make you free. It'll make you free. Grace does not teach lack of restraint. Grace does not teach rebellion. Does it? I don't have to listen to anybody. It's very convenient. Very convenient. (laughs) When anything comes up that you need to change or you need to do differently for folks to holler and say, don't put me under bondage. I'm not under the law. (laughs) Well, just because you're not under the law. Doesn't mean you're supposed to just yield to your flesh. (laughs) Right? I'm not under the law. We don't have any rules. We don't have any authority. You can't tell me what to do, basically. I mean, uh, people can couch it and they can quote half verses here and there. But the bottom bottom line is, I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. And nobody can tell me what to do because I'm free. We are not free to sin. We are free from sin. (laughs) Grace doesn't mean free to sin. It's free from sin. Free from sin. Come on, everybody say it out loud. Not free to sin. Free from sin. Now, in order to be free from sin... You're going to have to get a hold of yourself. You're going to have to put your flesh under. And there's going to be some things you don't want to do that you're going to have to do. There'll be some things you wanted to do, your flesh wanted to do, that you're going to have to put your flesh under and say no. And control yourself. And grace will enable you to do that. Somebody say glory to God. I'm free to serve him. In Titus 2, go to Titus 2 with me, please. What if you're in a mess? What if you're in problems? What if you're in bondage? What's the way out? 
Repentance. Repentance. In Titus, the second chapter, and verse 11, here is the truth about the real message of grace. What does grace teach? Grace does not teach us to be uncontrolled. Grace does not teach us to be rebellious. And we don't have to listen to anybody about anything. What does grace teach? Titus 2.11 The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us to do what? Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly. Is there some self-control involved here? Is there some listening to the Lord? Making adjustments when you need to make them. In this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from all iniquity. And purify to himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. What does the grace of God teach? It teaches denying ungodliness and worldly lust, living soberly, righteously, godly, right here and now, in this present world. It doesn't mean you don't try. And you just do all kind of stuff, but it doesn't matter because we're under grace. That's a perversion of the message. That's a distortion of the message. In talking about this, we need to mention this. Because the distortion of the message of grace goes in numerous directions. And people have developed doctrines that have really misled folks and caused a lot of problems. Because if they don't realize what the next step in something is. Reasoning is not revelation. Though it sounds reasonable to the mind, that doesn't make it true. And uh, some have said and thought, well, you know, Jesus has carried all of our sins. And he has. Jesus has paid for all of our sins, everybody's sins, past, present, and future. And he has. That's true. And some have reasoned that because he has, then we never need to repent. For any sin because there is no sin issue because all the sins have already been, even the sins that we're going to do that we hadn't found out about yet, he has already paid for. So when we do the sin and find out about it, it didn't surprise him. He already paid for it. So there's really no need in even saying anything about it. And the biggest issue is that we just need to be free from all sin consciousness and quit talking about our sin. Even if we sinned 30 times last month, we just don't need to talk about it. We need to be free from sin consciousness. And the basic idea is that Christians do not need to repent. That Christians don't need to repent. Well, if you keep taking that out to its full extent, do you know what you wind up with? Everybody is already saved. Everybody. That's what you wind up with. Because did he take the sins for everybody? He did. Did he? Has he or not? And what people are saying is what we do or don't do has nothing to do With our righteousness in him. Because Jesus bore the sins and paid the price and gave us his righteousness. So we're righteous no matter what we do or don't do because of what he did. Because we're saved by grace alone. Is that true? 
No, you're going to have to listen carefully or you'll think I'm saying something that's wrong here. We are not saved by grace alone. You say, ooh, he didn't say that. Yeah, I did. If we're saved by grace alone, then everybody is saved. Already. Everybody on the planet. Whether they ever acknowledge Jesus or not. Because did God in his grace pay the price for their sins or not? Did he? Then if we're saved by grace alone, independent of anything we ever say or do, then everybody is saved and will be saved. But there's another word. (laughs) I said there's another word. That is mentioned over and over and over and over in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians and Hebrews. It's this word called faith. And actually the Bible says we are justified by faith. We're made righteous by faith. Now certainly if it wasn't for the grace we'd have nothing to believe. But we're not just justified by the grace of what he's done. We're justified by our faith in it. That's no small thing. Do all men have faith? No. Do all men believe? Then that's why all are not saved. Did Jesus say everybody would be saved? No. He said There is a way that seems right unto man. It's a broad way. It leads to destruction. And many are going that way. But there is a way that leads to salvation. And it's a straight way. And few there be that find it. Did he say that few would be saved? Now that doesn't mean there will only be four or five. But even, I mean millions among billions are few. God is the Savior of all men. The Bible says, but it goes on to say, but especially of them that believe. So we're not just justified by grace. We're justified by faith. And it's the grace that gives us something to believe. It's the grace that allows us the opportunity to believe. It's all by grace. But it's by grace through faith. Now, if it's true that we're justified by our faith, then if something affects our faith, it affects our justification. Now, you're going to have to think about that a little bit, I know. But we're going to look at scriptures. Are you ready to look at some scriptures? (laughs) I'm going to jump ahead and say this. And then we'll come back. And I'm not saying we'll get to everything today. I hope you can come back. We're launching into something here, aren't we? We're believing. Does the Bible say we're justified by faith? Does it say that? Romans 3.22 says the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Verse 25, through faith in his blood. Verse 26, Jesus is the justifier of him that believes. In Jesus. Verse 28, we conclude that a man is justified by faith, not by the deeds of the law. Uh, Romans 4 5 says, his faith is counted for righteousness. Romans 5 1 says, we've been justified by faith. Galatians 2 1 says, we've been justified by faith. Galatians 3 24, we've been justified by faith. Four times in the word, it says, the just shall live by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith. By grace is connected to by faith, but it's not the same thing. Grace has provided it. Faith receives it. And what God has provided by his grace must be received by faith or it's not experienced. It's not enjoyed. Even though it's provided, even though salvation is provided By the grace of God for all mankind, all mankind is not saved unless they believe. And if your believing is how you're justified, 
and made righteous. Then if something affects your believing, it affects your justification. It doesn't affect what Jesus has done, but it affects your experience of it. There are two things necessary to live free from condemnation. Not one. Two. Bible says, uh, Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation. Put it up on the screen for us. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's not the end of the verse. Some people say, well, that last part's not in some manuscripts. Yeah, but it's in verse 4. It's there. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, people don't want to add that phrase because they want to say, no, we're justified and free from condemnation by grace alone, period. That's it. No, that's not it. That's not it. How do you get free from condemnation and stay free from condemnation? Number one, faith in the precious blood of the Lamb. Number one. That's how you get free. But that's not all. Number two, you have to walk in the light that you have. Which is another way of saying walk in the Spirit. You've got to walk in the light that you have. Because if you don't. James says to him that knows to do good. And doeth it not. To him it's sin. If you know to do something. And you're not doing it. You can confess that you're under grace. All you want to. But your heart. Your heart is going to condemn you. And you're not going to be able to get free. From condemnation. Unless and until you do what you know to do. You walk in the light that you have. It's where repentance comes in. (laughs) I said that's where repentance comes in. Go with me to 1 Corinthians please. Don't take my word for any of this. Mark these references down. Look, Put your nose in this book. Study it out. We want to know the truth, don't we? We want to be free, free, free. Free from anything that's not right. Free from anything that hinders. No distortions of this, but the truth that makes free. 1 Corinthians 11. Can a Christian sin? (laughs) You know, that shouldn't be difficult to answer. Should it? Does a Christian ever need to repent? Yeah. Just because you get born again, that doesn't mean you lost your will. Right? You can do anything you want to do. You can go crazy this afternoon. I don't recommend it. But you can. I can. I could go off the rails tomorrow. Couldn't I? I could get into the basis sin. I could. I got a will. I got flesh. I shouldn't. I don't have to. (laughs) But to say I can't. To say I can't. And if I can. Then if I do miss it. Do I need to repent? Do I need to make it right? Get it right? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Somebody said, well, yeah, but Jesus had already paid for all that sin. Yeah, and for the sins of the whole world too. But that don't make them saved. That don't make them righteous. You have to believe it. You have to receive it. And anything that affects your faith affects that. 1 John says, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. But what if your heart is condemning you about something? Then you don't have confidence toward God. I, tell, I, I didn't finish reading Jude. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians 11. Put Jude back up there for us, please. What were we down to verse 4, I think? He said uh, people had turned the grace of God into 
no restraint, moral anarchy, denying authority and control. Verse 5, he said, I'll put you in remembrance, though you once knew this. Do you know that it's possible to be clear on something and then get confused about it later? Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. This is the answer to once saved, always saved. Because see, the perversion of the message of grace is, hey, we were saved from the foundation of the world, and we're saved no matter what we do or not do, because it was all by grace. And basically the implication is we got nothing to do with it. Well, like I said, if that's true, then everybody's saved. People cursing God and will, who will never acknowledge God, they're also saved too. Everybody will be saved. But if that's not true, and that we're not just justified by grace, but we're justified by our faith. If that's true, then what affects our faith affects that. Why is he bringing this up? This is verse 5. Verse 4 dealt with the distortion of grace. Didn't it? And what's he bringing up? He said, you knew this at one time. But I'm having to tell you again. Just because you're saved, that doesn't mean that no matter what you do or don't do, you're always saved. Because he saved them out of the land of Egypt. But afterwards they were destroyed. What else? Keep reading. The angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of that great day. They weren't secure (laughs) that no matter what they did, they were okay. Verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah, cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Keep going. He goes on to talk about individuals. These are some of the same folks that had made them errors about grace. Once saved, always saved. Somebody said, you believe in eternal security, Brother Keith? Um, Yes and no. (laughs) I believe you can be saved as long as you want to be. Hmm? Absolutely. As long as you want to believe in him and you want to be close to him and follow him, He will preserve you. He will keep you. Hallelujah. Spirit, soul, and body. He'll preserve you blameless until the day of the coming of our Lord Jesus. He'll do it. But, but to say you can do anything you want to, you can ignore him, you can reject him, and you still be okay. No, that is not what the Bible says. The Bible teaches something different. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I know some of you, are, I, I can hear your gears turning here. I'll give you something else to chew on, and we'll, we'll talk about more of this later. How can you tell if somebody's gone too far? Very simple. Very simple. You can't get them to repent. That's it. We'll talk about this maybe more as the Lord would help us, but there are people in the mental institutions banging their head against the wall because they believe they've committed the so-called unpardonable sin. And so there's no hope for them. The devil has really messed with some people on this subject. People think, oh no, I, I, well I might as well just do whatever I want to do because I'm lost anyway. There's nothing I can do. Lies. Lies. I said lies. It's real simple. Anybody that ever talks to you and goes, well, I, maybe I've committed the, the sin unto death. Maybe I've committed an unpardonable sin. Maybe, all you got to do is look at them. Say, look at me. Look at me. <laughs> do you want to be right with God? Amen. If they say, yes, more than anything. Are you willing to repent? Yes, yes. Then there's no way you've done that. That's right. That's I said, there's no way you've done that. Amen. Because if you had done that, we could beg you, That's right. and you would not. Yeah. We could say, please, please quit doing this. Come back to God. Get right with God, and you'd probably cuss us and say, leave me alone. I don't believe in all that junk. People that have done that, you can't get them to repent. Repentance is a gift, isn't it? Yes. 
It's the way out. I said it's the way out. Look with me in 1 Corinthians now. 1 Corinthians 11. Is he writing to Christians in 1 Corinthians 11? Yes. I'll say something very, very plain and clear. All of the epistles are written to Christians. That's right. All of them. All of no exceptions. That's right. Most of them start off by saying to the saints at such and such church. Don't get confused by, well, is this part of the New Testament belong to a Christian or not? All of the epistles are written to Christians. All of them. All of them. (laughs) No exceptions. No exceptions. And he said to them, he said, uh, verse 31, 1 Corinthians 11, 31, if we would judge ourselves, what would happen? Now, is he writing to Christians? We've already asked this. If you back up to the first chapter, to the saints at the church of Corinth. Judge ourselves for what? (laughs) Yeah, judge ourselves of what? Of what? Yeah, but Jesus has already been judged with your sins. What do they need to judge themselves for? If we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Do Christians ever need to repent? Yeah, they do. Which is what is being talked about in 1 John, the first chapter. Go with me there. 1 John, chapter 1, is written to believers. I said 1 John chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 is written to believers. believers. Well, I don't know if I believe that or not. Well, you should. (laughs) If you were a Christian for very long, there was a time not so long ago you believed it was. It was simple. When did it change? Well, if you say, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. Well, let me ask you this. John, the man who penned this, you reckon he's a Christian? Yes. <laughs> How many think we ought not be reading scriptures written by non-believers? <laughs> Is John a believer? Yes. Christian? Yes. I want you to notice, if you've got any questions about this, go through the first chapter, just ten little short verses, and circle everywhere you see where he says, we. 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 So he's applying what he's saying to himself. We. Somebody say we. We. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Can a Christian ignore light? Yeah. If we walk in the light. Who's he talking about? Is he a believer? I mean, are we a part of the same church that he's a part of? Yeah, we. We. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Thank God we don't know everything. And when we're doing things ignorantly and missing it because of what we don't know, the blood takes care of that. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The blood cleanses. It does. But what if you know better? I said what if you know better? You're violating light. What did James say? Is James written to uh, believers as well? It is. Every one of the epistles are written to Christians. To the church. Every one of them. He said to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him, it's sin. And so what if you're violating light? What does verse 8 say? If we say we have no sin, now you need to go back to the previous verse. If you're walking in darkness and you say you're not missing it, then you're lying. You're lying to yourself because you know better and you know you know better. 
If you are violating light, what do you need to do? Verse 9, which is written to believers. John included himself. If we, we who? And John, is John a believer? Is he a Christian? If we confess our sins, who's writing this? The Spirit of God through John. Is John including himself in this? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're not just made righteous by grace alone. We're justified by our faith. If we violate light, our heart will condemn us. And if our heart's condemning us, it affects our sense of righteousness and justification before God. And the solution is not to pretend that we didn't miss it. And imagine that we don't need to make any change. The solution is to come to him and acknowledge it. Say it. Say, Lord, I knew better. This is wrong. You showed me this. I knew this. And I'm acknowledging it. And if you'll acknowledge it. I said, if you'll acknowledge it. Now it's time To reassert your faith in the blood. Right? The blood that cleanses and washes and say he is faithful to forgive me and cleanse me. I know it's all been paid for already, but I'm receiving what I need of it right now. Right? And if I keep faith in his blood that I'm clean and if I walk in the light that I have, I will stay condemnation free. Free from sense of guilt, shame, or sin. Can you say amen? Amen. Glory to God. Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.